0: TC rolling solo today and want to thank our sponsor, Herbal Active, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. You've heard me talk about it on this podcast, as well as the main knowing Up podcast, just as far as it's helped my sleeping. Um, certainly joints feel better as well, especially this time of year when it can get a little cold and, and wet out. Um, so we'll talk about a little bit more about that later in the podcast. Now on to Mr. Fratelli.
1: block like that right on my waistline is why I kept that trap I remember nights I didn't remember nights I damn knew went crazy I had to get it right now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper hey now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper the absolute truth yeah no show who me
0: I from the track Ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the Trap draw podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm not gonna do that. This is a trap draw. Um, you know, got my guest today, Dylan Fratelli. Uh, Big Randy is 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 out at the beach, I think today, enjoying some sun. So you got solo TC here today. Um, Dylan, how are you, man?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure, pleasure. Congrats
0: on a on a great season. Um, we'll probably get into a little bit of golf talk, but I think for the most part, you. You seem like a pretty interesting, enlightened cat. I'd like to uh, do some stuff outside of the golf space here too. So, um, where do we find you today?
1: Um, I'm just chilling at home in Austin. Just finished a pretty heavy off-season workout, and currently sitting on the couch, having had a nice lunch, and just getting ready for the afternoon to just chill on the couch.
0: You watching the Presidents Cup?
1: Heck yeah! I was yesterday. I had the uh, World Surf League. Um, Big, big Wave Jaws event and the President's Cup on at the same time. I was watching both of them, one on an iPad and one on the TV. But internationals are doing me proud right now.
0: Which one had the TV versus, versus the iPad?
1: The uh, President's Cup had the TV. That was okay. much bigger. I probably would have had the surfing on the TV if I could have done it, but they weren't showing coverage of that. They are showing coverage of Pipe Masters uh, today, so I'll probably have that up on the big screen as soon as it starts
0: is surfing kind of your 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 other love?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really love it. I grew up going to the East Coast of South Africa as a young kid. Kind of stopped when I was 12 or 13 when I had soccer and other sporting events in the holidays. We couldn't really do it as much, but I always loved being at the ocean and getting in and boogie boarding and body surfing. And then when I turned 18, I was like, okay, I'm strong enough now. Let's, let's give surfing a go and try not to kill myself. But, yeah, I've been slowly fumbling my way through the – the, the starting bits of surfing the last 10 years, I guess.
0: Okay. Uh, any any favorite surf spots or anywhere you've, you've been that, that you that you haven't surfed at, that you're dying to surf?
1: So, well, I mean, my home break in South Africa would be Scottsboro, which is a really nice right-hand point break. I have great memories spending time out there, but I actually surfed the day after the um, Farmers Insurance Tournament in San Diego, right below La Jolla, just sort of slightly north above the, the North course. And I was out with Courtney Conlog, who's another professional surfer. She was doing some media with the tour and she asked if I wanted to go surfing on Monday and I was like, heck yeah, let's go. So <laughs> in recent memories, I guess Southern California has been good to me, but I haven't traveled much. I haven't done a, like a destination surf yet. I, I'm hoping to go to New Zealand. That's probably on my list. And then I guess anywhere in Hawaii or Southern California is my next best opportunity
0: any any plans to do it while you're over in Kapalua for the uh yeah I, I thought
1: about thought about going earlier I spoke to Kelly Slater I've got to know him pretty well and he's going to be in Maui during that time so I may go the weekend before Century Tournament of Champions and he said he would take me out and go surfing and play a bit of golf but I'm not sure I want to I want to risk it in Maui <laughs> with Kelly he'll probably get me in some overhead stuff that I can't handle and then have to pull out of the tournament because I've dislocated my shoulder or cut my foot open on a reef or something.
0: Yeah, that would be a that would be a tough way to start, kind of your your you know the meat of your of your first season with full 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 eligibility, full exemption.
1: Yeah, just diving off a eight foot wave into a reef that wouldn't that wouldn't be fun.
0: So, do you ever do it in in Texas? I know they've got those like I know Kelly's got one of those wave pools in Texas. Is that ever?
1: So, well, Kelly's one is actually in California, but there's one in Waco um, that's operational. It's pretty cool. And then there was another one in Austin called Inland, which the WSL has actually recently bought. Not many people know about it, but it was a decent wave in Austin. But I spoke to Kelly and they're hoping to get it up and running, I think, by summer next year, late summer. But that's going to be the same technology he has in the wave ranch in Lemoore, California. So I I cannot wait for that thing to open. And I'm just going to like gently nudge Kelly and be like hey so is there like a uh, platinum membership or like something that I can just go out there whenever I want to because that would honestly that would speed up my my learning curve for surfing so much if I can just try and put a bunch of time in on, on a man-made wave where you're guaranteed to catch it and, and do a bunch of turns and figure everything out
0: for sure yeah I was shocked when I heard how expensive getting time on one of those things is it's like it's just crazy I mean I guess it's akin to like joining a country club or something like that
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, it's literally a steam train. It's like running a steam train through water back and forth, and that's just the operation side. Like to build it was millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I don't know how much he would charge me, but I'm willing to pay quite a lot because I love surfing.
0: So going back, so you're from Pretoria, South Africa.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I was born in Johannesburg, but spent my first ten years in Johannesburg, and the next sort of eight years in Pretoria. But it's it's almost the same city these days. It's like Dallas, Fort Worth, like dual city that's kind of grown together over the last 20 years
0: and 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 your family still lives there your parents and
1: yeah my parents parents in johannesburg my sister's in pretoria but they're basically about 20 minutes drive away from each other so that kind of gives you a clear as to how close you can be being in two distinct cities
0: so as far as that goes you're pretty you're landlocked there right is that is that kind of
1: yep you're in the interior of south africa you're about five hours from the nearest coastline if you were to drive so it's high altitude with six thousand feet above sea level up there and nice clear air and pretty much golf three hundred and sixty four days a year if you really want to.
0: As far as the golf scene goes, what are the like what are the nicer courses around there? Where where'd you grow up playing when you were when you were a kid?
1: So I grew up I was a member at a course called Irene Country Club, which is in Centurion, a suburb of Pretoria. Uh, that was my first membership there and then my coach Llewellyn van Heven, was the coach at Centurion Country Club. So I basically was a dual member at those two clubs growing up, although I, I played all my league matches for Irene Country Club. Um, and we played junior tournaments all over the the state or the province, as we call it. it, was Gauteng. So we would drive up to two hours and still be within the state and play tournaments. So I just remember tons of courses in Johannesburg were really, really nice. Royal Johannesburg is a good one. Glendower Country Club is a good one. And then there are a couple of new ones that have popped up. Uh, the Elves Club at Copperleaf. We've played European Tour event there before. And then I guess they're having the SA Open this year at Rand Park is another one. There's lots of old country clubs that are like 80 plus, some are even 100 years old now. And just wonderful, beautiful old oak trees and, and tree line fairways and basically parkland set up. So you got long golf courses with trees lining the fairways and you can often hit it into adjacent fairways if you (laughs) really slice the hook one over but yeah we have we have tremendous golf courses up in gauteng and i think probably 60 70 percent of the sunshine tour events are played in and around that area just because of the the breadth of golf courses that we have
0: i read you played a variety of sports growing up when did you really either fall in love with golf or realize it was it was a future in it
1: I mean, I, I always loved playing golf. I remember as a six, seven-year-old waking my dad up on Sunday. That was the day that was kind of reserved for golf. I'd always wake him up; he'd be sleeping. Say, "Let's go to the driving range. Come on, I want to go hit some balls." And that was my earliest sort of memory. And I'd play in the holidays every now and then, go and play nine holes with my dad. But I was playing a bunch of different sports growing up. I played four sports at sort of state or provincial level. It was soccer, baseball, golf, obviously, and then. <clears throat> What's the final one field hockey feel like it was actually my strongest sport out of all of those I got a cricket and field hockey scholarship going into high school So a uh, golf is always like the fun thing to do in my spare time or on holiday. And then when I was 15 I basically got pneumonia and I couldn't play in the national hockey tournament for my state Aer- Aerobic wise I couldn't get it done and I just figured, well I can walk around a golf course for five hours and they had the national under 16 tournament that week And I played terribly, had pneumonia, and I finished like 20th. And I was like, hang on, if I can finish 20th with pneumonia and like not practicing at all during school time, maybe I could actually be good at this. So I try to like convince my headmaster at my high school to let me just play golf for you and and he wouldn't allow it. So I ended up leaving that, that high school, which was, I guess it was a wonderful high school experience for me. But then I did a sort of private tutoring, homeschooling type thing. And gave golf a run for a year, and after that year, I looked back, and I was pretty much number one junior in the country and figured, look, if I've done that in one year, what could I do in another two years of high school, and that was basically the turning point for my athletic career.
0: And then, at some point along this, you won the the world junior?
1: Yeah, exactly, so that was 2007, that was the second year after I'd basically devoted my time to golf. Um, Uh, just knew about the tournament growing up and knew the different age groups and was looking at college golf and all the college coaches we reached out to said, hey, like, we can't just give you a scholarship without seeing you, so maybe pick a tournament if you can afford it. Luckily, my parents saved a bunch of money and we went out to San Diego and played in the 15 to 17 age group and I ended up, I guess, winning by five. It was a pretty cool experience (laughs) winning a tournament in the States. First time I'd traveled overseas to play in a tournament and that opened up the doors to a college scholarship. I took a visit to Austin the next week and checked the uh, University of Arkansas out as well. So it was basically those two schools that had offered me a scholarship and I went with Texas. And I guess in the end, that was a really cool decision and a fun way to see America and not just like end up in a city somewhere and, and not enjoy your college experience. So it was cool to, to see Austin before I came over.
0: It's always funny, I, uh, I know David Lingworth went to Arkansas do they yeah. just recruit a lot of international players? Is that kind of their thing? Yeah, so
1: Br- Brad McMakin, he started out at Lamar out in Beaumont, Texas, and he had a bunch of South Africans there. There was a pipeline of guys for a while. Um, Justin Harding was one of them. Oliver Becker, uh, Darby Van So they had a bunch of good players out there, and then he got the head gig at Arkansas. And I guess he just has a forte for getting internationals.
0: And uh, as far as Texas goes, did you just love Austin?
1: Yeah, so the interesting Interesting thing was I actually had family in Austin. So my dad's my dad's cousin, my second cousin, was a professor of music uh, at the University of Texas. He's a pretty much a somewhat world famous violinist. And when he stopped playing on a bunch of orchestras he played around the world, he settled in Austin back in I guess mid 80s. And he's had three kids over here, and so he is kind of like extended family for me. But that's how he came to know the University of Texas, and that's why we made connection with coach fields are like oh we've heard about this place and turns out it's actually a really good university and really good athletic program so in the end it was pretty cool that i had family in town here as well that was another connection
0: so i saw you majored in geography i am a mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a geography buff i don't know what it is about it i always Ooh. i've always just been drawn to like i love maps okay
1: can, can i quiz you then let me let me quiz you then yeah, what are the please. three main facets of geography three umbrella genres, because everyone says to me, oh, you're a geography major. Do right? <laughs> so you know where you're flying to? And you know city names? And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's like, that's like third grade geography. But anyway, so what are the three main... Uh, I, I think you should be able to get two out of three. If you um, get two out of three, I'll give you a passing grade.
0: Would it be... like? Is it like, Are we talking like topography...
1: Yeah. Okay. So you're on the right, you're on the right track there. So I'll give you that. That's one physical. So physical geography, the landscape, mountains, rivers, all that.
0: Political geography.
1: Yeah. Pretty, pretty close. Human geography would be the term. So it's okay. people and places and why people congregate in certain areas. And, and then the third one you're never going to get. Um... It's somewhat new. It's come up in the last 10 to 15 years. It's It's big in sort of political spectrum and businesses and the way they project maps i was gonna say would it be like some some sort of demographic gis yeah exactly so okay. gis is the term that is global or geographic information systems those are the three facets so i have to remind people that my studies were a little bit more intense than just naming cities and yeah. knowing which side of the world that the sun comes up on
0: did you specialize in a certain certain facet of it
1: so, no, I just got a general geography degree. I thought about it for a moment doing um, environmental resource management, and then there was another degree that popped up when I was a junior. It was basically a biology and geography degree together, and that was like environmental sciences, but I would have had to have stayed an extra semester, so I decided not to do that. just got a general old BA in geography.
0: What What drew you to it before you got there, or had you always kind of had it in the back of your mind that you wanted to get into that sort of study or
1: i had a really good geography teacher when i did that homeschooling thing and i really loved the content of my high school syllabus so i got to texas and some of my teammates actually gave me great advice they said bill your undergrad degree doesn't really matter that much i was like struggling to to declare my major and they said just do something that you enjoy because if you're trying to get a job out of college you're probably going to have to get a master's or a doctorate or you're going to have to have a network that you'll like walk into a job so That really calmed me down. I was like, okay, I enjoy geography. The classes are quite small. I got to know all of my professors, sort of 20 to 30 kids, class size. And that was like the best advice I could get because I wanted to do something serious like engineering or business. And both those colleges at Texas were really tough to get into and really high workload. So that advice really helped me split my time between the golf and the studies. And and it gave me good experience on, on both ends of the spectrum. I still tried really hard with the academics, but... I probably could have done a whole lot better with with my knowledge and with my skills i could have done business or engineering but i would have taken away from the goal for sure
0: what was the biggest adjustment for you going from south africa to austin texas
1: um probably i mean kind of funny one but the language probably like people first month or two that i was over here everyone kept on saying what huh what what did you say and like eventually i had to start changing some of the, the words or the way i pronounced certain words you go to a restaurant and Hey, could I get you drink water? I'll be like, Yeah, I'll have some water, please. And the lady just stared at me and goes, What? I say, Water. Nah, I don't know. Water and then, Oh, oh you want water, okay, cool. Like I mean it sounds mundane right now, but it was a battle my first two months to just get people to understand me. So I've had to somewhat adjust my, my accent just so I didn't have to repeat myself like five times.
0: Are there very distinct accents in different parts of South Africa?
1: Yeah, there are, but most people won't be able to pick up on it. Obviously, South Africans will. I, I'm an English language first speaker, so I don't really have an Afrikaans twang to my to my language. But if you're an Afrikaans guy, you grew up speaking Afrikaans in your family, you would have a much heavier South African accent. And then guys in Cape Town are kind of like the California accent in America. It's really like, yo, bro, what's up? Like very chill surfer vibes. And then... Durban, East Coast, they don't really have a strong accent, but Joburg, Johannesburg, where I grew up, definitely has a sort of distinct accent. But I'm pretty neutral when it comes to everything. My mother was a teacher, so she always like slapped me straight, like, don't say it that way, say it this way, speak proper English, and that's kind of stuck with me.
0: Is Cape Town, like just from a, from a South African perspective, is, is, is Cape Town like the San Diego or Los Angeles of... of it's pretty kind much. of distinct yeah. from the rest of the country.
1: Yeah, it is. So there's, I mean, it's kind of sad, but like most South Africans can't afford to buy property in and around the city. It's just too expensive. International people have come in there and just bought it up. It's pretty much US or international prices, but it's such a beautiful place that like everyone wants to live down there. It's just, you're you're stuck for land. There's not enough space there around Table Bay and the downtown. And so people either live out sort of into the wine country and Stellenbosch, and that's also really beautiful out there. But Cape Town's, I don't know, it's top five city for me. I wish I could live there because there's great surf, but obviously now playing on the PJ Tour, it doesn't, doesn't really help me. And the wind just absolutely blows out there. So if you're trying to practice in a 40 knot gale, it's probably not going to do wonders for your golf.
0: And then as far as Pretoria and Joburg go, how would you, I mean, do you enjoy going back? Do you still consider that home or?
1: Oh you, yeah, no, you know? I love it. I mean, I haven't been back in a year now, but I'm really starting to miss it now with Christmas rolling around. I won't really see my family until March next year, but yeah, I love it. Just it's, it's such a fun place. Like people are so happy and welcoming and yeah, we've had our issues with, I mean, lots of social issues with apartheid and governments and politicians and crime and stuff, but the general day-to-day life in South Africa is, is really nice. People are super friendly and, multicultural, like I had black friends growing up, Indian friends, Chinese friends, white friends, like it was a great childhood to just basically learn different cultures and, and get to know different people. I feel like here in the US I'm kinda of stuck in a bubble. Like I only really see white people, I only really have certain friends and it's tough to sort of get exposed to other cultures or or demographics as you would say.
0: Was Austin the obvious choice for you to just kind of stick around there or have you looked at you know, potentially moving somewhere else or is Austin kind of your, so your I home haven't base looked
1: at it yet? I, I'm really kind of stuck in my ways when I do something, I keep doing it over. And if it's working, I keep doing it over and over again. So I've stayed at UT golf club where we practiced in college. I use the same facilities. I use the gym on campus right now. Like I, I haven't changed much. I'm a firm believer in just don't rock the boat, try and make incremental changes and, and get better. And then on a, like a social side, I don't get out much. I have, quite a few friends in Austin but a lot of my friends left college and went to different cities so I'm still trying to basically set up my my friends group in in Austin and Mm -hmm. try and get into some of the social scenes although I typically just become a hermit crab when I'm back because I'm on the road so much I just want to sit on my couch and de-stress.
0: Were you based there when you were playing Euro Tour and Challenge Tour as well?
1: Yes I'd split my time I'd do November through February in South Africa I'd, I'd just stay with my family and played a few sunshine tour and european tour events around the summer there and then obviously when europe kicked up around march or april whether it was on the challenge tour or the main european tour i went over to europe played four or five in a row and if it was starting to get cold in south africa then i would come back to austin so basically june through august september i would be in austin but i never really had my own place i would just stay at friends places i have the family in town and I got to know a really nice couple, a retired couple at UT Golf Club, and they basically became my adopted parents for about three, four years. I'd just pull in and stay there for two weeks with them right at the golf course, and I could basically walk to the course and back each day, and they were awesome. They really helped me basically in, in the time in Austin just settle down and relax because I was basically sleeping on couches and friend's places and never really had a place of my own until I met them
0: and as far as this season like just or really the next couple seasons because your exemption now like is it is it do you look at it as kind of like oh finally i can focus on playing golf and on kind of one tour or have you really enjoyed the the global nature of your career thus far
1: i i mean i enjoy playing in europe there's definitely a lot more socializing at tournaments and there are a lot more Africans on that tour so it, it was easier to fit in early on in my career but I want to play against the best i want to be the best golfer i I see my life being in the states as well just personally and socially so i've definitely gravitated towards the pga tour and i've actually lost my european tour membership because i didn't play enough tournaments last year but if i could ideally i would jump in that top 50 in the world rankings and play all the majors and wgcs and then go home to south africa and play one or two there and play two or three in mainland europe throughout the year but my main focus right now is playing on the PGA Tour. The opportunities over here are just way bigger and better than anywhere else in the world. And it's, it's been tough for seven years traveling to Asia, Middle East. Like, the flights basically get to be crazy after a while. And when I have a two-hour flight to a tournament, and that's one of the longest ones I'll have in a six-week span, I'm really going to take advantage of that.
0: Just, just watching the President's Cup, I'm like, man, like, the U.S. team has to be exhausted, right? Like they flew in yeah.
1: they flew in like three days ago, four days ago, you know? And it's yeah, like, you've seen it now. They finally, they've had like three days, full days on the ground. And what happened? Yeah. They started playing well in that second yeah. second day of matches. And you can see they basically got their feet on the ground now and they finally acclimatized. And there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, we were playing, the worst one we ever did was Morocco to China. We would go to London, five or four, five hour flight to London, stay a few hours from london to either tokyo or beijing and then connect onwards to shenzhen and it's like you get there tuesday afternoon or evening and you got to tear it up thursday morning and be on your game so gone are those days i'm not going to be making any of those travel plans anymore
0: what were your big uh tips or you know must do's as far as jet lag goes like like you know i know some people work out right when they get to their destination
1: yeah. or what was your That's- that's a little crazy guy players mentioned that one before, but I actually grew into not eating on the flights, just drinking, staying hydrated, and not eating. And I've signed up with a new doctor now. And he said, there's a lot of evidence that says do not eat on the flight because basically your, your bio rhythm is such that it gets used to breakfast, lunch, and dinner and the timing of that stuff. So if you're still eating on the sort of meal plan that you were in your previous destination, because obviously you're going to get hungry every sort of six or seven hours, so you're going to eat on that same schedule. So the best thing to do is just don't eat on the plane, hydrate, stay healthy, take some vitamin C or whatever you need to fight off the cold. And then when you get to where you are, whatever the next meal time is, hit that meal time, have a nice big meal, and then get back into that sort of regimen in your new time zone. And I, I kind of just wobbled into that through my traveling. And he was like, Bill, you're doing the right thing. So keep doing that. Plan,
0: plan challenge tour and Euro tour, what uh... – what was the section of the schedule that you not dreaded the most, but just, you know, you're like, oh man, I don't like, I'm not excited to, to go play this, this,
1: this stretch. I mean, it was, it was probably the summer on the challenge tour. My first year I played, I don't know, like 27 of 30 events on the challenge tour. And I just figured I'm going to bust it this first year and play as much as I can and get on the European tour for the next year. I won my first year, I ended up finishing 30th on the money list, top 15 got their card, and I was like, oh wow, I haven't practiced like for a week in a row at home since basically January, and it's now September, and hang on, I've lost all these hours, I've not basically worked on my technique, and I lost my game because of that, I just played too much golf. So I remember there was also a stretch the year I did get my card from the Challenge Tour, I played 12 weeks in a row. I didn't have full status on the tour and I got an invite at the first event and then the second event somehow went down to my category. And then the third event, I got another invite. And before you know it, I had a couple top tens and that got me in weeks and I played 12 events in a row. I managed to win the Rolex trophy my 11th week out of that 12 week span. So I literally played every week for three months. And that was just something that I had to do because I didn't have full status on the tour and I was trying to make it. And in the end, it paid off, but in the in hindsight, it's it's definitely not a smart thing to do. So that that summer on the Challenge Tour is really hard because money's not great. You're traveling week to week, and you obviously don't want to take time off because guys are going to move ahead of you, and it's just tough to like force yourself to take two weeks off. European Tour is a lot better; the schedule works out a little better, but yeah, it's tough to skip tournaments. Well, that's how I find it.
0: As far as your rookie year on the PGA Tour, what was your what was your big takeaway? Um, you know, as far as just key learning there, what are you going to do differently this year? I mean, obviously you had a successful year, but
1: yeah, it was, I mean, it it was a weird year. I obviously won, won the John Deere. That's huge. But my second best finish was 18th place. Mm -hmm. So I look at that and I go, it really wasn't a successful year by my standards. I'd played 10 or 11 PGA tour events before that year started. So I should have had a leg up on any other true rookie. And I felt like I didn't really play that well. Most of that was brought on by stress of trying to keep a card. And I'm so worried about 125. And and finally, when I won John Deere, that all just went away. And since then, I've played back to the standard that I know I can play. So I also had to obviously go through the whole year not having played any of the courses. You've got guys that are either U.S.-based that have seen the courses or seen the conditions or been on tour for 10 years and they know the course backwards. So I was doing a lot of extra work trying to play. 18 or 27 holes in practice just to get used to the course and no little idiosyncrasies. But all in all, when I look back at it, I mean, it was a successful year. I won, I kept my card, I, I did well, but by my own standards, I probably didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. So th- this season's definitely going to be a lot more focused approach and I'll feel way more relaxed knowing I have a job for sort of two years in the future and I've seen some of the courses before. So I definitely see this upcoming season of the year that I'm going to, Progress and, and do way better than last year. I've already made 300 odd FedEx cut points just in the fall series alone. So that's a really good sign heading into next year.
0: What course are you most looking forward to getting another crack at that, that you just didn't feel like you're like, man, now I get it? Or, you know, I, you really needed that, that extra intel on?
1: So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's nothing that I sort of, if I don't really achieve at a golf course, I'm not going to hold against myself, but I really enjoyed Hilton Head. I'll tell you the two that I'm really looking forward to, Hilton Head and TPC Sawgrass for the players. I played the Junior Players Champs in 08, and that was just the coolest thing ever. The PGA Tour just basically gave us a golden ticket and showed us around and all the videos from the previous Players Championships. and. Seeing that tournament from inside as a 17-year-old going into college, I was like, "Wow!" And, and honestly, when people ask me what my favorite golf course is, mm-hmm. TBC Sawgrass is that course. I love Pete Dye design. I was there a week ago or two weeks ago. Stayed with Julian Surrey and played two practice rounds so I could basically remember the course and that.
0: What was your and favorite hole out there? Building
1: the head. Oh, Sawgrass. Yeah, that's tough. Oh man. I, I like that 16th hole. The 16th hole is really cool because it's reachable for everybody in the field. You can lay up. The lay up's not easy. It's it's a really good risk reward hole. I mean, we've seen all the albatrosses. The guys are made twos. What what par five has guys making a two for the last few holes to go in a tournament? It's pretty pretty cool setup. But the whole course, I just love Pete designs the way he sets it up. It's ball strikers, I guess, are the ones that typically succeed on his courses, and that's sort of where my strength lies. So. Yes, Hilton Head's also Pete Dye Design, so I guess just any Pete Dye Design, get me on one of his courses.
0: PGA West, too. Are you playing the the, uh, yeah. the uh, Amex out there?
1: American Express, yeah. I'll be playing that. Played it last year, and I actually got to know uh, Shane Buchel, quarterback from SMU. who was the Texas quarterback for a while, and I, I met him there that week and got to know his family pretty well. So hopefully I'll stay with them this year again and play well there.
0: Nice. Yeah, uh, the... Like talking sawgrass and just ball striking. I love number four. Um that that short part four. And then yeah. uh, and then at, at a Harbor Town number nine at
1: um Oh of- yeah, that's an interesting hole. Number nine's uh an interesting one. Guys go driver, some guys go five line off the tee. It's yeah, it's a fun one. You really have to think your way around Pete Dye design courses. Obviously some are really difficult. Like Austin Country Club where we play the match play is is crazy tough, but you really have to think about every shot that you hit. You can't just like oh, hit it in the fairway. No, you got to be on the right side of the fairway or avoid some kind of hazard.
0: So I was asking Adam Long. He's a friend of ours down here. And, um, he was. He, he said, "God, Dylan is such a nerd." Uh, that was that was one of the things he said. About you. But then he <laughs> I said, that, that was, as a compliment." Yeah, I yeah. take that as a compliment. He figured you would, and then and then also that you use two caddies. Yeah. So so is that so, like? Is, is that having one Euro tour, or, or, or
1: do you split it up? No, it's it's just the fact of my main caddy, John Curtis, lives in South Africa. So I try and do four or five week stints for him so he can travel. He's 64 years old. So I want him to be with me as long as possible. I don't want to tire him out and have him retire on me. So I've got another buddy that, that fills in. He played a bit of college golf and he's from South Africa. So Cam is that guy. He just fills in odd weeks if I'm playing two in a row or just one on its own. Cam will be that guy. But, yeah, John Curtis is my full-time guy. He'll do all the majors and WGCs and all the the heavy lifting. But it's just a factor of giving the old man a break, to be honest.
0: How did you get linked up with him?
1: So, John's caddied for a while on the European Tour. He's worked with Pablo Larrazovo. He's won with Thomas Bjorn before and Shiv Kapoor and a number of other European Tour golfers. And, I just when I joined the European Tour, I looked at a few caddies, and he didn't have a bag at the time, and he'd done two events for me on the Challenge Tour. He used to live in Dubai, so he did two events over there for me, and I really enjoyed how solid and consistent he was. Just a strong old Zimbabwean guy, and he played golf at a high level too. Represented Zimbabwe at the World Am and a bunch of other things. Played on the European Senior Tour for a bit, so really knowledgeable guy and he also he doesn't he doesn't take my crap he'll he'll call me out on stuff when i when i need to be called out on on certain things so i appreciate that too i like guys that tend to deflate my head more than pump me up whether that's friends or family or people in my team I want
0: to pause for a moment to recognize our sponsor herbal active herbal active cbd uh it's helped me out tremendously as you've listen to me talk about on this podcast and other podcasts. I was pretty skeptical at first. My mom actually got me into CBD. Uh, I'm a pretty notoriously light sleeper amongst the group. And it has helped me not only fall asleep, but stay asleep. Uh, That's been the biggest difference I've noticed. And then this time of year, it gets cold and damp at the same time. And Little joint stiffness, little joint pain, um, just feels like it kind of lubricates your joints. So that's my personal experience with it. Stuff makes a great stocking stuff for a Christmas gift. Uh, Herbalactive.com, U R B A L A C T I V. Use Trap draw twenty to get twenty percent off your order. Tell them TC sent you, and uh, and yeah, feel better in twenty twenty. That's kind of the bottom line. And thanks to Herbal Active for their support of the Trap Draw. Now back to Dylan. As far as just your career in general, it seems like you win in nice places. Like you've, you've won in Austria, (laughs) you've won in, uh, you've won in Geneva, you've won in
1: Mauritius. Like,
0: you you know, is there something to
1: that? I don't think so. I I think there is something to not winning in South Africa. So I still haven't won an event back there. I won a minor 36-hole event on the Sunshine Tour, but yeah, I haven't played well back home because I guess family and everyone around the event tends to stress me out. So I always tend to play better when I'm far away from family or outside distractions but no I just I, I like to travel and I'm pretty diligent with staying up to speed on my physical stuff my diet all that so whenever there's an edge that I can gain in that sense I think that helps a lot because some guys travel long distances and they just don't care to work out or they eat a cheeseburger or whatever it is and I'm not going to give into that pretty easily so that may be a fact of the far long far from like tournaments are the ones that I do well in.
0: As far as uh, traveling, I mean, other than keeping your normal routine and regimen going, what else do you like to indulge in when you travel? Are you a big, big foodie? Do you get into wine? Are you sightseer?
1: So, when I was in Europe, I try to go out and hit some museums and like local spots and architecture and stuff in the big cities. But now that I'm in the U.S., I'm see I'm struggling to find things to do. I I tend to just go on like TripAdvisor or something and just see what sort of cool things there are in and around where, I, where I'm at. But I don't have any go-to things like restaurants. Sure, I'm single right now, so I don't have anyone to share that stuff with. Hopefully one day I'm married or have a girlfriend, I can go out and do cool restaurants. But pretty pretty boring when I'm on the road. I'm always trying to maximize my time. So it's often just back to the hotel and do some recovery stretch and foam roll and then head to bed early. But yeah, surfing, I guess, surfing. Whenever I'm at the coast, I'm always looking for a break, even if it's an hour's drive away. I'm always trying to find somewhere to get in the water.
0: Well, yeah, we've got surfing here in, in uh, North Florida. It's just, yeah, I can't say it's any good, but <laughs> we've got
1: some, no, it's, we've got it's some three or four think. footers. I've got, so, a, yeah. got one of the Callaway reps in New Smyrna Beach. He's a good friend of mine now. And he tells me, Bill, you got to come visit. Johnny. Says, I'm pretty good. Yeah, Johnny's the man. I love Johnny. So he's my surf caddy on tour. Him and Lego, another shaft rep there. So now I think my schedule is going to be centered around coastal events that have good surfing. If there's ever a, a thing to persuade me to play a tournament, that'll be it. Are
0: you going to play Pebble?
1: I'm not going to play Pebble this year. I played it last year and the weather got me. So that'll be six in a row if I decide to do Pebble. And that probably wouldn't be smart going six in a row to start the year.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking about where else there is on the as far as other surf spots. It's kind of slim picking. San Diego is
1: huh? probably the best. Uh, LA is pretty good. I mean, San Clemente, California is the spot for surfing. So if I want to drive an hour and a half down there, anywhere on that sort of southern side of LA is pretty solid. So I'm looking forward to LA Open again and San Diego.
0: All right, leaving the flagstick in. You're a big leave the flagstick in guy. Yeah, one of the One of the bigger... Exactly leave the flagstick guys in on tour were you immediately switching over to that when they changed that rule or how did that come about I
1: tried it out in the December and messed around and got to Hawaii messed around with it a bit and then I just said okay I'm going to give it a go because I feel I felt like it was helping me a little bit and then I didn't track my stats per se but the one thing I did a year and a half ago poorly was get the ball to the hole I left a lot of putts short and I noticed whenever the flag was in I seemed to see it as a backboard So I was more aggressive from sort of eight to 20 feet. I wasn't just rolling it up with like drop-in speed. I was actually hitting the back of the hole. And obviously if you leave one and a half, I was leaving one to two putts short from that range every round, and that's not going to be helpful. So as soon as I saw that I was more aggressive, I thought, you know, I'm going to keep doing this. It makes sense. And then on the three, four footers, it's so easy. Like you've got a small defined target you just set it up. You're never really right edge, left edge from three feet. That's the most you're going to give it. So I always just see the pin as a nice small target backboard, and I just hit it nice and firm, and that, that's helpful for me.
0: Do you subscribe to the the Bryson you know, coefficient of restitution stuff?
1: No, no. I I spoke to him at the British Open this year, and the pins are slightly wider and thicker, and the wind was blowing. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm taking it out this week. Like It's <laughs> not going to stop the ball, and I was like, Dude, it's going to be so weird having seen the pin in all year and now you're going to take it out. And I just stuck with it even if yeah. a one putt in 200,000 holes is going to bounce it out. That's my theory. There's probably one putt in a three- or a four-year period that the pin might save, but it's not going to be a factor that's even going to affect anything.
0: Yeah, it seems weird to kind of willfully introduce another variable, like a larger variable yeah. to counteract a
1: smaller variable. Yeah. I mean, I, I will take it out if the wind's blowing and the pinning is actually moving in the hole. I actually asked one of the referees this year on tour, I said, can I take a rubber band and tie the flag? Because it's like when it blows, the shadow often is over my ball and it's distracting, but also the flag sticks moving a lot. And they're like, uh, actually, we don't know if you're allowed to. And they still haven't come back to me on it, but I'm assuming that it's it's not legal to do that. So I just haven't done it.
0: Or it is legal and they're just they're just trying to draw it out as long yeah. as possible cuz they know you're going to be yeah probably they don't
1: want guys <laughs> taking rubber bands tying down the flag sticks now
0: is that kind of your nature like always always questioning
1: oh yeah oh know, yeah i'm why. always switched on it's tough for me to turn off like if i'm walking from a to b i'm always trying to find the straight line the most efficient like little things like that i'm always i, I was i guess don't know if i was born that way but whatever sort of sport or thing i did i'm always just trying to be as efficient as possible and I mean, that's the game of life, isn't it? You're just trying to out-compete your fellow citizens, your fellow people. You're trying to earn money. You're trying to do things smarter and better, and that's my profession as well. If I'm trying to be the best golfer, I've got to find new ways to find little edges and and do better and and get ahead of that next guy.
0: I'm thinking of uh, George Clooney. You ever see that movie up in the air?
1: Yeah, I've seen, I can't remember it exactly, but it does ring a bell. Yeah, basically you he's like... fire people, is that what his job is?
0: Yeah, 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 but he's he's like this road warrior, frequent flyer, and he's so competitive even about getting through security quickly yeah. and be, you know, being efficient with all that stuff. That's that's kind of what I'm picturing here. Yeah. like
1: I, I'm learning how to switch off. Though. Like the surfing okay. is helping with that thing that just kind of... I can relax and just take a breath like I'm learning that stuff, but it it definitely goes against my nature. Yeah. Um,
0: Any other examples of of stuff you do on the golf course that that would be considered, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, like challenging the status quo or just?
1: Um, Not really. So the big thing I work with my sports psych is actually becoming more creative and carefree. So, I'm super analytical if I'm working out of yardage with my caddy and it's 175 and the wind and the and all that stuff. But as soon as I get behind it, all that stuff gets turned off. And that's, you don't want to think any technical or number or anything. And from there, then I go into creative zone. So I do also think I have a really good creative streak. And I mean, I'm not an artist or anything, but I do enjoy some of that stuff. But <sighs> nothing that far outside the box. I'm pretty vanilla when it comes to on course playing i don't have any weird setup in the bag i mean i switch between a three and a four iron typically sometimes take the five wood out the bag but there's nothing nothing too exciting
0: what uh what's the biggest difference between european tour courses and u.s tour courses just to you know i know there's probably all sorts of variables and all sorts of differences between different parts of the schedule but just overall what's been the biggest learning curve for you
1: I would say it's the variation. So European tour, you go some weeks. Like that's you know, I told you how long the trip was and how, and you go from 11, 11 and a half greens in China, or that would be the week after, but Malaysia would have tournaments that's like eight on the stump and then Morocco would be like 13. So you're going like three weeks in a row from eight to 11 to 13 on the stump and you're like, well, how do I adjust to this? And then you got different grasses you got different weather conditions temperature wind like that's the, that's the craziest thing about the european tour is it's so variable i felt like on the pj tour every week we step up and the greens are 10 on a monday they're 11 on a thursday and sunday they're 12 or 13 they do a really good job at simulating that same same course condition every week which i mean it could get boring if you if you think of it that way but it's nicer as a professional athlete to have fewer var- variables that it comes down to more of a I guess an execution or a a skill-based thing rather than sort of a luck, luck element.
0: The sunglasses. I got to ask you about the, or just the glasses. So what, tell me about your eyesight. Walk me through that.
1: So I've got a lot of feedback obviously about those sunglasses. When I won John Deere, I had probably like 20 or 30 people message me on Instagram like, Oh, what are these glasses? What's the deal? And Basically, I had a prescription done when I was 18 when I got to college, and I was like, "Hey, oh, your yeah, eyes aren't great. So I had uh, inserts put in regular sunglasses and tried them out. I was like, wow, I can read greens better. I can see the ball now over 200 yards. And ever since then, I have just like, let me just stick with it. And I got a couple new prescriptions, but it's basically a fact of just having better eyesight and then not liking contacts. I tried contacts and my eyes just went red and bloodshot and I tried different kinds and it just didn't work for me. So I figured while my prescription's not that strong, I can probably just get away with the lenses in my glasses having that prescription. And I, I may look into LASIK later down the line, but it's kind of become a, a trademark of mine now and also obviously protects you from the UV sunlight. So, definitely something that i i'm gonna keep doing
0: yeah it's definitely it's definitely distinctive it's like uh bobby bowden the old florida state football coach used to wear oakley's with just you know kind of clear lenses in them it's like that yeah. I, I dig it it's cool um you seem like a big sun protection guy too you, you're always wearing the sleeves yeah.
1: right? yeah i got the sleeves on i just the sleeves came about just to somewhat set myself away from other guys and also just help with obviously when you sweat it's really hot like kind of acts as a a wristband as well so that helps too and then not having to put the sunscreen on and get your hands all greasy and dirty but yeah it's just another way to i guess maximize my time on on earth i don't want to have any skin cancer or, or get any issues like that
0: um do you play a lot of recreational golf or you you pretty much shut it down
1: honestly no no i shut it down when, when i can i try and again with that analytical side i try and take as much time off as I can to clear the head because I always play way better when I have less stuff going on so like right now it's December I've taken three weeks off and I've got stuck in in the gym lifting some heavyweight trying to get stronger and I'll start up again probably eight days or ten days before the Monday of Hawaii so that I feel like is enough time for me to get back up excuse me to be back up to speed and, and be able to play well that first week out
0: how's your dad's game
1: he doesn't play golf actually. He he used to play. He hasn't played probably in like ten years. He used to just play like golf days at business and stuff. But like, nah, he doesn't he doesn't play golf anymore. He's sixty one now, and I don't think he's ever gonna come back to the game. To be honest.
0: Huh. That's that's interesting. He got you into it. Got you out to the range, and then and then.
1: Yeah, he he never really was a golfer. He's a great athlete. I mean, cricket and hockey were his two strong sports. My mother played tennis and. Netball at a high level, actually like South African under-21s and stuff. But yeah, it was never something that he enjoyed or like pursued. He was just happy to. He had his ACL tear when he was about 38, 37, and stopped playing club sport at that age.
0: As far as cricket goes, like, can you can you just talk me through cricket? I just as an American, <laughs> I just do not like. I get I you know I get some of the other sports that aren't big here, but but cricket is the one that I just cannot. You mean got my how head around. Or
1: just the fascination with it, <laughs> how people fall in love Yeah, with? just
0: you know, all like I kind of picture it as like a, a much longer form of baseball. Um, so
1: there, there's three different formats now. So now there's an even shorter version that's about the same as a baseball game. And I don't know, the easy way to explain it is it's it's basically like baseball except you've got home plate and first base and you have two batters at once. So you got one guy on first, one at home. And the pitcher or the bowler, as we call it, will either come from home plate or first base and pitch or bowl at the batter on that side. And the field is 360 degrees. So it's really fun from a tactical point of view because the captain will have to set the field in whatever configuration to suit the bowler and what he's doing. So there's some bowlers that bowl with spin that's slower and the ball spins and turns off the turf or a guy that bowls really fast, just like a fastball. So there's so much tactics that go into it that it's super fascinating. Like some teams have strength in batting, some team that has strength in bowling. And it's super fun to play as a young kid. Cause I was with the analytical side. I was always captain of pretty much every team I played on. And I was always trying to maximize my team's strength and set the right field and get the fielders. I was often putting fielders in weird positions. And my coach would be like, why are you doing that? And I'd come up with a theory and tell them. be like, Oh, that's pretty good. Like smart thinking there, but yeah, it's, it's a great sport. And, really analytical i guess the analytics haven't really hit the sport that much in terms of like guys trying to configure game plans around different batters but i'm sure that'll come in now
0: is it is it just all trending towards the shorter shorter game format
1: yeah just like social media all that stuff it's all about like time people don't have time to sit there the the long format's five days that's international test cricket so I think there's 12 test playing nations now and then you got the 50 over so one over is 6 balls so basically got 300 balls to score as many runs as you can and you got 11 batters once you get 10 of them out then you're done so 50 over game is still pretty strong that's what they have the world cup in that's that's the format and then the shorter format it's 2020 so 20 overs or 120 balls that's kind of like a home run der- derby you guys start hitting for the fences and that's really fun to watch and attend
0: huh um yeah it's like so i've so maddie kelly mark's cat is is yeah is is here in jacks he's always like my aussie rules football guy to kind of explain that to me so <laughs> he'll, he'll be my cricket guy um yeah i got you there as far as american football have you gotten into that at all
1: yeah so obviously in college texas longhorns that that's my team i go out to every game i can when i'm in town got to know a few of the guys on the team while i was here I actually roomed with football players my junior year, so. One of those guys is in the league for a year or two, but actually dated Justin Tucker's sister for a while, so I got some experience there with Justin. He's done amazing things in the league now. Um, I don't have a pro team though. I've kind of yeah, I'm not really a Texans fan, not really a Cowboys fan, so I just tend to support the teams that I knew guys on the team that had played at Texas. But now I've kind of kind of lost that that love to watch the pro game. But I do do watch a lot of college football.
0: How was Texas when you were there? That was was that the end of the Mac Brown? Yeah, it
1: was. It was so Colt McCoy's second year. We went to the Fiesta Bowl my freshman year. Um, I think we were Rose Bowl the second year, and then we had the the national championship game with Alabama at the Rose Bowl the following year. So it was really strong there the first three years. And fourth year we had uh, Garrett Gilbert come in after Colt left and didn't have a good year, but since then basically it's been all bad times for texas So yeah. i had three out of four really good years
0: who and who of the guys you room with is in the league or or, or
1: spent some time well, in the league? david snow was the guy he was our starting center he, he never got signed out of the draft but he was i think two years with pittsburgh on the practice squad and somewhere else off he was in buffalo as well for a year i believe so that was my buddy that that made it through and then obviously justin Tucker's done crazy things. I checked his kicking percentage the other day, and he's far and above the best kicker in, I guess, the history of the game, if you look at his percentages.
0: Yeah, he's doing some historic stuff. He's like the... I mean, it's wild. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Are you a Herman guy?
1: Um, No, I'm a Texas Longhorn guy, so everyone, new coach comes in, and they all go, oh yeah, we're back, we're gonna be good. I'm going, guys, come on. Until we play for a national championship, or until we go undefeated, until... It's up to the Longhorn standards. I'm I'm not going to claim anything. Like everyone was saying last year, we're bouncing. hold on. Like hold on, guys, just wait. <laughs> we got to see how this goes.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting.
1: All the turnover in the coaching staff this year too.
0: It's been eye opening yeah, to follow. Tough, how much tough pressure? Times
1: for us. We're close though. I think I think we're doing the right things. Um, obviously, the loss dodge was the old athletic director while we were here, and I think a lot of the success that we had in every sport was because of the loss. And Mac Brown's obviously a huge part of that but we've had some issues with the athletic director since the last li- left and now finally I think we've got a, a really really good setup with the athletic director the head coach and I think in a year or two three years we will be good Chris Del Conte has done a great job with with all the programs and I really respect him
0: nice are you pretty uh still pretty involved with with the golf program Haven't you know still like practicing Um, out there
1: and everything or yeah i still practice out there so i see the guys i don't really play with them ever i may have like a little putting contest a chipping contest if i want a little bit of competition but most of the time it's just checking in with coach and how's it going everything good and seeing the guys sometimes i give the guys a bit of trouble Like, hey why are you sitting on the couch get out there and go practice or stop playing ping pong like go and do some putting like stuff like that i'll try and get on their case but no, they they've got it all figured out. And our coach has got a really good pipeline of of top recruits coming in, and hopefully, you can just keep that coming. Because I mean, Texas has been strong basically since I got there. I guess we been really good.
0: From from the perspective of you know um, your career, who's been sort of your mentor, either on the Euro Tour or on the PGA Tour or both? Um, who have you really looked up to, and who's been who's kind of shepherded you along a little bit?
1: Um, so I've basically had big influences from Coach Fields early on, and then Chuck Cook, who's my coach right now, he lives in Austin too, worked with a number of top players. So Chuck's really expanded my technical side and given me knowledge that I never would have come across unless I met him. Um, My foundational years was Llewellyn van Leuven, a coach in South Africa. He gave me huge like grounding and takeaway setup, like all the basics that I still work on today. And then beyond that, I haven't I've really been trying to find a sort of a mentor in that sense. I've leaned on guys like Tom Kite before he got tons of information going to the Masters last year. And there are a few other senior Texas pros that I've sort of quizzed and, and asked a few things about. But like someone like Kevin Streelman on tour, I'm often quizzing Kevin. I, I like his sort of analytical background as well. Smart guy, went to Duke and... a couple guys on tour that i'll I'll call up every now and then and and ask for some advice but most of the time i just try and figure it out myself and and stumble upon it through trial and error to be honest
0: Hmm, okay um are you a big reader
1: i am i've started i started reading a lot more now i told myself when i graduated from college that i have to keep my mind busy and i try to read a bit when i was traveling in europe but i just i got away from it so recently i've kind of rededicated myself to reading what are you reading um, I'm just about to finish. Um, I've got the book here in front of me, actually. Um, Ready Player One. They made the movie. It's a sci-fi, I guess, story about gaming and the future post-apocalyptic kind of setup where people log into these virtual reality things. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's a really, really cool book and I'm enjoying it. And it's written, written by a guy that lives in Austin, actually, which is cool. He apparently drives around Austin in a DeLorean. So nice. that's a pretty cool <laughs> angle.
0: Do you typically read, read uh, fiction or sci-fi or, or do, you, um, honestly, do you kind of mix I'm it up?
1: Normally, like, I've done a lot of like biographies and, and just learning stuff about people. And then I do a few finance books as well, just trying to get my knowledge going on the financial side of things. I, I want to get an MBA at some stage, whether I do that online or or in person somewhere, I'm not too sure yet. But that's definitely something I do do. And fantasy and sci-fi and all that stuff doesn't really catch my fantasy unless it's angled towards some kind of computer game or I don't know Harry Potter, something mainstream that I enjoy.
0: Gotcha. Uh, as far as South African food goes, you are you? Do you have any spots that you that you frequent in Austin, or is there anywhere that you found in the states I'm, that is? I'm is not like... a
1: big foodie when it comes comes to uh, comes to like south africa i do have my sort of like go-to health options that i love sweet potato i love chicken and i have recently got into a lot more seafood just out of the health benefits but i'm probably wasted on that stuff like i meet a bunch of girls and they're like oh sushi's my favorite oh my gosh i love sushi and i'm like yeah we're not doing sushi (laughs) i'm just couldn't be bothered sitting there with chopsticks trying to trying to serve it up but um, Martin Trainer is a good buddy on tour that I travel with. He loves sushi, he loves Japanese food, and he loves Indian food. So I'll do Indian food with him at least like a couple times a week. He always finds the best Indian food place in whatever city we're in. So that's the one thing I will do on tour.
0: Okay, are you typically running with with other bachelors on tour and going out a little bit, or or you know like you kind of gravitate towards hanging out with those guys, or is it or is that not really a factor at all?
1: No, I, I, I don't, as I said, I just basically get back to the hotel and stretch out and then, and then chill and lay low. But if I know people in town, if I've got friends there, I'll go out for dinner with them. But I mean, people always ask me, oh, are they golf groupies out there? Are there girls out there? And I'm <laughs> like, I mean, I guess I've never really see a girl on a golf course and she's dressed to the nines and she's kind of putting herself out there. You know what she's trying to do, but I, I don't go to the bars. I don't go to all the, the cool spots where those people hang out so I'm, I'm probably the the worst guy i mean i probably should everyone keeps telling me don't get married have fun all this stuff but i'm like
0: it sounds like getting married might might suit your lifestyle more
1: more <laughs> yeah exactly i think single. that'd be a compliment
0: yeah more yeah. than
1: a distraction but no i'm just i'm devoted to the game basically i love playing the game and the lifestyle i have is awesome get to see my family whenever i want to and earn good money and i'm not out there trying to pick up hot chicks and take them home and all that stuff that's Probably the last thing on my menu.
0: Awesome. Well, as far as goals this year, what are you like? Any, any, any big goals? Just like validate the win with another one or make a.
1: Um. Yeah. A well, win is obviously every week. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get myself in that mindset where the focus is on winning. But I'm just trying to get back to that standard that I set myself at the start of last year. So I've got some top tens, top five goals that I'm trying to achieve. But I just want to play at a much higher standard throughout the season. I was consistent last year, but I was consistent in that. 18th to 40th finish range i want to be consistent now in that top 10 or top 20 at the worst i know that's where my game is and i'm good enough to to be in contention and last year i was only in contention once luckily i won that i I think i'm pretty good when i'm in contention so it's just a matter of getting myself in those moments and then playing better in big tournaments that's going to be the the major focus now being in the first two majors and the players and hopefully in the match play in Austin. And, and that's going to be the, the bigger focus, I guess, is doing well in those tournaments where you got the top players in the world because that's I feel like that's the mark of a truly great player, someone that can play well against the strongest fields.
0: What's holding you back in that regard?
1: Just experience. I mean, I guess experience. I've played in eight or nine majors now, and the British Open last year was the first time that I truly actually felt like I put my game out there, like I actually played normal golf previously it was just like oh my gosh this is a massive moment it's a huge big spectacle and i, I like let the spectacle become bigger than i i was or my game was so that's that's a cool thing now having one in the PJ tour it's like oh it's still another tournament like yeah you're going to get the butterflies but don't let it overtake your game where you can't perform so that's that's something that i'll lean on this year in the experience section of my my game
0: is that the tournament that's most um that's kind of the most prestigious in your mind
1: Uh, yes and no um probably the open if i had to win one major i would probably choose the open but masters is pretty close behind um yeah i mean i'm not one of those guys i don't want to be number one in the world i don't want to win 10 majors i don't know if spieth had that sort of angle he always wanted to beat tigers records at whatever landmark date or age but i'm not one of those guys i just want to go out and maximize if my my best effort is winning five majors, cool. If my best effort is never winning a major, great. As long as I felt like I gave it my best chance and I did everything I could, then then I'm going to be happy. Mm-hmm.
0: Anything you're burning on right now? Anything you like with the read stuff or slow play or anything you're fired up about?
1: <sighs> Honestly, no. I, when I leave the golf course, that's like gone, it's off. The worst thing for me is going out. For dinner with guys on tour and i i avoid certain guys not because of it but, <laughs> oh yeah dude you know what i did on the seventh hole oh, like bro like we, we just ordered dinner like do we really need to be talking about golf right now we've done it for seven hours today let's just switch off and talk about anything else so that's probably a pet peeve for me is just how it's the same in any sort of field i guess i've hung out with a lot of doctors before i've got a friend in med school and they all just talk about doctor stuff and medical stuff and i'm sitting there like okay could we like change the conversation a bit. So I guess it's common to every sort of field, but that's something I try and get away from.
0: Yeah. Well, Dylan, thanks for joining me, man. It's uh, <clears throat> on behalf of Big Randy, I got to tell you too, he, you were an integral part of his uh, Fred X Cup squad last year. <laughs>
1: um, Hopefully yeah. you pick me again this year. <laughs> well, well, no, he, he can't because you're not a rookie this year. You, are you, oh, it's you only rookies, that's right. Yeah, or, or,
0: it's only guys who have, who have graduated from – uh corn Ferry tour finals basically so you're either oh, yeah. you're either top 25 you know regular season or okay well, got we'll I commission.
1: whatever the fair commission is I'll, yeah. I'll take a piece of that yeah it was
0: you and you and max homo were like his his two two stalwarts last year so wow. um you know huge so but awesome man well i appreciate you joining me we'll be rooting for you this year and uh and you know best of luck over in hawaii getting it going
1: no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and let's do it again sometime. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. I, I definitely did.
0: Max is the spot for that track hey. hey,
1: hey, hey, I told him straight drop this and zip lock that hey. Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap yeah. I remember nights i damn near went crazy i had to get it right Right. now i'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper hey now i'm your favorite trapper's favorite (laughs) trapper the absolute truth yeah no joke